Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, Loose Ends, the weekly spin-off podcast, and this week is part two of our chat with Michael Adams, the creator and host of the incredible history podcast Forgotten Australia, and he's the author of Hanging Ned Kelly. Last week, we looked at Melbourne's, uh, let's say, thirst for blood, but this week we're going to keep diving into the history of Ned Kelly and the people who did bad things to him and his body and people in general. That's an odd intro, but uh, Dad, I believe you had a question for Michael this week that you'd like to dive in with. Look, Michael, last week was fucking great. I'll tell you what, your knowledge is... is. I mean, I don't know whether you just have got millions of sort of notes everywhere or big whiteboards or it's just recall because I, I, I'm very impressed. And, oh, jeez, um, I, I do kind of cram it in. But, you know, I, I guess if you asked me in six months, I'd be like, Ned, Ned who, mm, what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But listen, <laughs> I still got um, a front of mind at the moment. <laughs> okay, so, Michael, two things that I think will possibly not blow you away and I what I'm about to say I haven't told Paul but oh this is so so fascinating that you talk about there's a there's a very famous photograph of one of the executed uh, men and they used to tie them onto a door and it's a rather sad image mm. and they 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 photograph them now in one of these photographs that you particularly make mention to you mention the artist Julian Ashton yes and very guess what guy. guess what you're He's related a relative. to? Oh, Fucking wow. Oath. And Paul, Paul and I are relatives. And Paul Delpratt, who owns the Julian Ashton School of Art, yep. probably the most famous art school in Australia, some of the greatest artists that we've ever produced went there. They're still in existence. Well, Paul Delpratt, I was at a party a few years ago. Now, this is so spooky and weird and bizarre, Michael, but he approached me and I was with a, a dear friend of mine and all of a sudden... Paul Delpratt put up his hand with his fingers sort of to make a square. And as he approached my friend, he was examining his head using phrenology. Oh, God. <laughs> Is that, that gives me goosebumps. That's weird that it's Be- still... Oh, God. Uh, yeah. he, there are people that still genuinely believe, b- believe in phrenology. And, of course, we all see... See, because I've been dealing in antiques for a long time, we see phrenology heads. That's right, yeah. And maybe well, you'd like to explain to the listeners and Paul what, what it's all about. Well, phrenology was the belief that your as your brain develops, certain parts are more developed than others, 
and this actually cha- and they grow bigger and this changes the shape of your skull as you get older so that you know if you're a greedy person or an acquisitive person or a lustful person for instance parts of your head that correlate with those sort of you know emotions or or characteristics will have bumps and you could measure these bumps and work out a person's personality and proclivities Hmm. um and this sort of arose in the early 1800s in europe and gained traction as a science and two of the sort of um most fascinating angles for people or phrenologists were a are quote unquote savage people inferior in their mental development and b is crime inevitable amongst those who are of lower intellect or you know heightened passions so claiming the skulls of indigenous people and criminals mm. was a, a a real cornerstone of this so-called science so hanged people and you know massacred indigenous people became highly prized and there was a traffic in skulls so oh, in God. australia in the early you know in the 1800s in the early 1800s uh, there are numerous reports that i found of you know a score of skulls uh, aboriginal skulls being mm. sent to england for study mm. Mm. and you know obviously a good source of skulls was hanged individuals so you know as soon as you know a, a dude hit the bottom of the rope and was you know left to hang for the requisite time and was then anatomized now this was another post-mortem punishment that was a hangover from england you know if you were a, if you were a thief in england that'd get you hanged if you're a murderer you're going to get hanged plus the bonus of after you're dead you're going to get cut up by the surgeon and if you're cut up by the surgeon that means you know in christian ideology you're not going to go to heaven because no. you can't be you can't be resurrected in one piece so it's this mm. post-mortem punishment so in, in australia this is what it was happening to murderers you know they'd be hanged they'd be cut up and you know their skulls would be souvenired and become part of the phrenologist sort of arsenal of of proof Um, and this science so-called endured for decades i mean it was discredited in the in europe sort of by the sort of mid 1800s but it endured here and it became kind of a a popular sort of science like i guess like astrology or something like that Mm. where you know there are a hardcore of people who believe it literally and then there's other people who kind of kind of sort of believe it you know i'm a gemini look honestly if (laughs) (laughs) what was weird is i thought we'd all agreed I thought we all fucking agreed in the 90s that astrology was bullshit. Yeah. And now it's come back with such a resurgence. Yeah. Do, you, do you think phrenology is due for Look, phrenology head is something uh, to, 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 but, yeah. is to be, just look at and be amazed. It is. It, yeah. it, it's, and the funny thing about the phrenology head, a lot of them were made by the Fowler Company that originally, like Royal Dalton, made toilets. Yeah. So they sort of... <laughs> made these but these heads are actually they're beautiful they're they like, are actually they're yeah. like the perfect bald head you'd like to go to bed with and caress and fondle right. Calm down. Um, <laughs> but no they they are, are a genuine uh, fowler phrenology head from say 1880 mm. is something to to behold and and there were also bumpologists, weren't there? That, yeah, that's what they they called. You know, the the, the skeptics called phrenologists bumpologists because mm. you know they'd <laughs> be feeling the bumps. Oh, um, there was a, uh, a a joke in Punch. You know, why is a phrenologist like a a new arrival to this to Australia traveling on Cobb and Co? Because he's always feeling the bumps. Oh, that's um, great! Bump, bow. Michael, 
I got a question for you, Michael. Yep. Um, let's do a bit of time travel. So let's go straight to the end. Spoiler alert: Ned Kelly dies. Um, <laughs> he sorry, doesn't make sorry. it. <laughs> sorry, guys. And the Titanic sinks. Ah, oh, fuck. So we, we get to the end, and one of the things that was remarkable to me is the fact that you've got this larger-than-life figure, and he's dead, and he can't do anything to stop what happens next, which is his head gets sawn off, and a phrenologist starts kind of doing the bump test, right? Yeah. Now. What happens after that to his head? I know it's a point of conjecture. I know at this point it's like asking where the Shroud of the Covenant is, but who has Ned Kelly's head? Yeah, that's a good question, and I cannot answer it, I'm sorry to say. Um, It's supposedly been located over the years, the skull, but DNA tests have proved that it wasn't his, so it is still a mystery. What we do know is that after he had been, you know, hanged and left to swing for 30 minutes or so he was taken down he was uh subjected to the animatization it's there's several reports from the time that it was just this atrocious Mm. ghastly scene where you know they were just cutting bits off and and souveniring them i even found a newspaper that intimated with a nudge nudge wink wink that there was a part of ned kelly supposed to have gone into the grave that i personally have seen and it was not gone into the grave so this read to me like someone had stolen little Ned, little Ned's head. Um, As for the actual head, the phrenologist, uh, the the guy who was the waxworks uh, proprietor at the time, Max Kreitmeier, he actually did the measurements, took the cast, etc. Hovering at his shoulder was a phrenologist called Archibald Hamilton. And this guy had actually been the leading light in the campaign to save Ned Kelly, Right at the very end, before when you know all hope was lost, this you know long-standing phrenologist who was, by the way, someone who stole Aboriginal skulls, stole various other skulls. He was a real piece of work. He changed tack and he went to the governor, requesting that he actually be given access to Ned before he hanged, so he could measure his head. Um, and the governor said, "Not on your life." Basically, you know, this guy had been had spent a week trying to save Ned. All of a sudden, now he wanted to measure his noggin. Um, after Ned was dead, Archibald managed to do that he made it very clear in his article that you know it had been Kreitmeier who'd done the death mask because he hadn't been allowed to but he took the measurements etc and he published these huge articles you know setting out basically what everybody who'd read a thing about Ned Kelly knew about his personality but you know backed up by the supposed measurements but this article that he uh, published in the Melbourne Herald was basically one long, long job interview, him asking to be appointed the penal bumpologist, the colonial bumpologist. Someone needs to go into Pentridge and into Melbourne jail and measure all the heads of all the criminals. Mm. And hey, hey, I'm mm. the guy for the guy for the gig. Mm. He didn't get the gig. There is, uh, I thought, if anyone was to have stolen Ned's head. Uh, Archibald Hamilton was the most likely candidate, given he had form in this regard, having pinched skulls previously. You know, he'd actually gone to trial in 1860 in Newcastle and New South Wales for trying to get a grave digger to dig up graves, and so he could steal the head of an Aboriginal man who'd been executed and of a murderer. Um, so I reckon he was a, a likely candidate to, to take Ned's head. Uh, if he did, he was smart enough not to talk about it. And uh, he died, I think, in 1885. And if he was the one who pinched the skull, then it went to the grave with him. So if anyone's got a, a weird-looking skull in, in the bottom mm. of the cupboard, I reckon mm. you can get it DNA tested because it could be old, mate. How fascinating. Also, um, Michael, I would like... If I sort of say to you, Ned's balls, can you... <laughs> Yeah. You, well, that's that's the that's the the depth I went to. Yeah, balls in, in, deep. And, and uh, to me, that is a very very fascinating st- part of the story. And I feel 
that that definitely contributed to the trajectory that Ned's life took? And can I, you maybe tell us about the, the particular story? Yes. So Ned in the in the mid eighteen seventies in up in you know, Kelly country was you know arrested on the street by a bunch of constables, and uh, one of them blackballed him. That is, grabbed his balls and uh, twisted them. And Ned said that it had caused him you know incredible pain for you know the rest of his life. Mm. Um, so he was you know ext- extremely pissed at having been you know um, treated in this fashion. Fair enough, you know it was a pretty low sort of thing to do. Mm. Mm. But then he actually claimed that shooting the police at um, Stringy Bark Creek in 1878 had cured his balls. Mm. Now, this is actually found in an article, in an interview that was arranged by Ned's solicitor while he was uh, awaiting the, the trial. So this was, you know, his PR stab. He, this was his PR move to put his case forward. And, you know, part of this interview has the quote where he says, you know, I hope that, you know, by my example, if nothing else, you, you, people will see you can't, you know, harass innocent men like this. So that part of the that's a part of the interview has become a big part of the mythology, hmm. but the part where he says, "Hey, by committing murder, I I I, I cured my testes," that <laughs> has that hasn't become part of the mythology, which I just found to be you know an extraordinary um, extraordinary thing to say, and maybe sort of indicative of you know his mental state. Hmm. Uh, the the guy was you know well he had a lot good going for him, but he also was a little bit on the troubled side, I believe. True. And Michael, speaking of troubled, the word testes, um, (laughs) it's rarely used. I I prefer balls or testicles. Testes is a a bit... uh, It makes them sound weird and tiny. That's true. (laughs) You you want it to be something like stones or boulders. Masculine, like big and fucking hairy. Or Kelly's. Just call them a bunch (laughs) of... You're Kelly. Kelly's. That's right. Exactly. Um, do you feel? Do you sorry. feel? Uh, no, that's all right, Dad. Um, Michael, when you think about Ned Kelly now, how has your perception of him changed? And do you buy into the? Because I've been to Glen Rowan. It's a bit yep. dull, but it, it is interesting going to a place where s- such. I mean, look, England has Robin Hood, and whilst Robin Hood is you know apocryphal and whatnot, the Robin Hood myth centers around a guy who stole from the rich and gave to the poor. What do you think it is that Ned Kelly contributed that might be a positive? Are there any positives to take away from this story, or is it just a litany of tragedies that took Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Look, I think it's a litany of tragedies, but there is, uh, there is a humanity, a deep humanity to the guy, which mm. no one denies, uh, whether you're pro or anti-Kelly, as you know, the various camps might dub themselves. Sure. Um, even, you know, the, the police like McIntyre, who was, you know, had survived the Stringy Bark Massacre, said that Kelly was a, a charming, personable, affable kind of guy. Mm. Um, he had, you know, been raised in fairly difficult circumstances. You know, his, his dad was a, a drunk who died when he was young. Um, he got some education, not a lot. Uh, it was, you know, it was a rough life. Uh, that said, a lot of people at the same, a lot of people at the same time endured the same conditions without becoming criminals. But, you know, um, I think it was bad decisions, uh, bad luck. Uh, But, you know, there's also the the period where he tries to reform. You know, he's released from Pentridge in in 1874. He goes on, as far as we know, goes on the straight and narrow. Um, He's, you know, a talented stonemason. He's clearly very good with horses and, and that sort of stuff. And he has this, you know, noble, these noble kind of qualities that everyone acknowledges. But he's also, you know, I guess got a persecution complex, perhaps justified. I mean, the police didn't handle themselves particularly well, um, you know, in in um, coming into his house and confronting, you know, his sister and his mother. Um, and in the same way, you know, the search parties going out f- for them after that were possibly, you know, given that it was you know, the, the charge was attempted murder uh, against the policeman. Uh, it seems to be a bit of a stretch. I mean, you know, again, you can pick apart the evidence forever and people have, but it does seem to me that, you know, the, the constable's story was riddled with holes and, and he was later actually, um, you know, removed from the force for being, you know, unreliable. So the, the, the persecution of Kelly, uh, there is something to that. And, you know, sending out a, parties of, of police into the hills to track down this guy, um, Maybe they could have just waited until he surfaced and, and nabbed him then. So decisions were made that, you know, were unfortunate in the way things turned out. But ultimately, you know, Kelly and the gang shot three policemen. Um, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that, you know, uh, they were killed in cold blood. Uh, it wasn't so much, you know, a, a fair fight, self-defense, as Kelly would claim. Mm. Um, but, you know, despite all of that, um, we are opposed to capital punishment, and you know it would have been. I, the thing is, Kelly would probably not be a legend if he hadn't been hanged. Uh, if he'd you know been sentenced to life in in Pentridge and rotted there for the next thirty years, he probably would have been forgotten. Uh, so by actually 
hanging him, they gave him, I guess, what he wanted to some extent, a platform to, to put his views forward and inevitably a form of immortality. I mean, you mm. know, he is one of the most famous Australians who's ever lived. The various police and magistrates and judges and reporters who are all involved in the case, uh, most of them, are, you know, are, are, apart from, you know, Kelly enthusiasts, are lost to history. So, you know, Judge Redmond Barry, you know, his statue's outside the State Library in Victoria, and I would guarantee you that, you know, four out of five people who walk past it go, who's that guy? Mm. Uh, whereas everybody knows who Ned Kelly is. So, yeah, it, it, it really is. I think that's the reason it continues to fascinate because there's, there is no sort of clear-cut answer. Was he good? Was he bad? Uh, should he have been hanged? Should he have not been hanged? Was he guilty or innocent? I mean, everybody's got an opinion and you can sort of, you know, pass the evidence to support your point of mm. view, which people do. And also, um, Michael, and also... Paul, of course, um, something that I find very interesting is that the spiritualist movement were, were really very um, much in the foreground and they believed that Ned had actually attained some form of nirvana, um, yeah. Michael, as, as per your book, <laughs> but, but also based another really interesting part of your story, which I found, and the, uh, you can imagine the spiritualists absolutely seizing with what I'm about to say, and that is in relation to the hanging judge Barry's carbuncle. Yeah. So as the you know the one of the most famous parts of the story goes, you know that Sir Redmond Barry, the you know bloviate judge who just loved talking, he loved preaching from the, the from the from the bench after he'd sentenced someone to death. You find I found this in you know lots and lots of uh, cases way before Ned Kelly. You know he. he Barry would cry in his initial uh, cases where he was sentencing someone to death. You know, he was so moved by you know his own, his own sort of sadness that he, <laughs> he'd weep from the bench while sentencing someone to death, but not recommending mercy. So you know, he was used to just having a a, a pulpit from which to be the bully. And Ned wasn't going to let that happen. So he gave him what for in the courtroom. And there's that famous exchange where, you know, Redmond Barry wants to have the last word. But Ned says, you know, I'll see you there where I go, which is, you know, basically saying, if I'm in, he I'm in heaven, I'll see you there. If I'm in hell, I'll also see you there. And, you know, 11 days later, Redmond Barry dies of a carbuncle on his neck. It's just, you know, and some of the wags on Burke Street said, you know, oh, wow, the carbuncle was exactly where the knot was placed on Ned Kelly. And it is reported that the only mark on Kelly's body after the hanging was, you know, the mark behind his left ear. Wow. So, you know, it obviously was just, you know, it's, it's something if you wrote it into a script, people would go, no, that's too far-fetched. But spiritualism at this time in Melbourne was, you know, was a, a big enthusiasm for a lot of people, including our future Prime Minister, Alfred Deakin. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, he'd actually consulted with that phrenologist I was talking about, Archibald Hamilton. And Hamilton had said, you know, yeah, you've had a couple of electoral defeats, but stick with it. I reckon you've got a future in politics. And I guess he was right about the bumps that time around. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, after Ned, when Ned was hanged, um, spiritualists had formed these kind of circles in, in Melbourne to cast a spiritual net over... Melbourne jail so they could catch Ned's soul before it got taken away by the demons and they later reported that you know they'd been successful it had mm. been you know a close thing but they'd managed to catch him and he'd gone to the good place mm. and the first person he'd seen in the good place was <laughs> the the constable who's he'd killed constable Lonigan 
the one that he stood trial for murdering, because um, you know Kelly was only convicted of the one murder. They were keeping the other ones in reserve in case the case failed. And you know the spiritualist said that you know there'd been this reunion in heaven and it had been all sweet, which is you know pretty nice. But then after, and this is before Barry died. Then after Barry died, it was like, well, are they going to? Are these two now going to meet in heaven? And the spiritualists were supposedly on the case. Unfortunately, I didn't find a, a follow-up report giving the conclusion as to whether you know. Barry and Kelly had been reunited somewhere, but there was a little report about a year later that said Ned had attained this special circle in the spiritual world and was very happy, but mm. he didn't mention Barry. So, you know, it would seem Poor old they, didn't end, they didn't end up together. No, no, this just seems like fan fiction, honestly, at this point. Just <laughs> I fucking, reckon you're just, right. It's just, it's just one of those, fan fiction. Just one of those little sort of, you know, uh, odd details that, you know, just doesn't make it into, mm. the, into the usual histories. And I have to ask one, for me, final question... Michael, and that is that do you believe the case of the notorious murder and his confession he made to Elijah on the gallows? Look, I have to say that I do as far as the evidence allows. I mean, I agree. so the, I agree. the case was the case was Robert Burns. He was yeah. a, uh, a guy who'd been tried for murder had been acquitted, and as soon as he was acquitted, he was charged with another murder. This guy's sort of uh, M.O. was taking mates out to the bush, bashing their skulls in and and robbing them. Uh, On the second charge, he was convicted, and then on the gallows, uh, Elijah Upjohn said or claimed that Burns had said something to the effect of, I cooked eight, five in New South Wales, three in Victoria, and now you're cooking me. After Burns was hanged, Elijah kind of held a press conference and made this claim, and he was called a liar by the Argus, uh, but the Herald took his claim more seriously, and they investigated uh, Burns's background, and they matched him up with, I mm. think, seven of eight supposed mm. crimes, mm. and these days he is believed to have been actually a serial killer. So it was, you know, uh, that I guess the hangman's fantasy of, you know, getting this gallows confession... Um, Upjohn said his piece. He was vindicated by the Herald, uh, but you know that didn't save him from being you know, hated by Melbourne society. Mm. And Paul, did you know that the hangman, his residence with it was within Pentridge Jail? Yeah, I mean, what's happening here is I've read this book and I'm hearing, I'm talking to you guys and I'm delving into this history. And I've made fun of uh, horoscopes, but let me tell you something. This is weirder. This is weirder <laughs> and more outlandish than any horoscope I could ever have encountered. It's just. It's, it's just horrific, crazy. horrific in scope. So yeah, the, the 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 hangmen were lucky if they got quarters in Melbourne jail or in Pentridge. Most often they lived on the street um, and they were drunks, so they were you know, often in trouble. Um, you know, Michael Gately, the hangman before Elijah Upjohn, was the hangman that was assumed to be the one who'd do Ned Kelly. Uh, he was chased and, and hunted by hundreds of larrikins on multiple occasions through the streets of Melbourne. That newspaper I was talking about, Police News, had sort of uh, depicted him on numerous occasions. And when he went to marry a young woman, they depicted that you know hilarious story as well. Oh my God, the hangman's in love, and that just put more of a target on his back. So you know, the hangman lived in this absolute uh, state of f- fugitive, mm. uh, a fugitive state in Melbourne. I mean. Mm. The guy who was the hangman f- from 1857 to 1873, William Bamford, was uh, 
portrayed by Marcus Clark before he became famous for the you know the term of his natural life, and you know he finds him living in the in the wilderness in this wasteland in a hole in the ground, you know covered with tarpaulin and rocks. This wild figure who has to live in this circumstance because if he's you know found on the street by larrikins, they'll you know beat him up. Yeah. Um, and you can understand that because you know you hang a man. He's dead. No, no, it might take seconds. It might take minutes. But he's not coming back. And chances were he was a murderer. And you know he's probably not got a lot of sympathy mm, from mm. friends and family out there. But these hangmen were also flogging people, mm. and they were flogging people who would be out in twelve months, and they'd be on the street. And if these larrikins saw the guy who'd whipped them, then yeah. you know it was on. Mm. Well, there was a very uh, interesting story, Michael, about Elijah goes to a pub, as you made reference to before, and to sort of gain favour, curry with with people he would buy them because they were he was earning good money i mean really good money for the time he had lots of spare cash and he'd he'd go to the pubs buy people drinks he's leaving the pub one day one of the guys comes out with a piece of 4b2 cracks him over the head serious injuries yep now they go to court and of course the magistrate gives the guy a a, a poultry is it poultry or palfrey poultry Wait, oh wait, yes. Uh, a tiny yeah, fine. Gives him a tiny fine. Tiny. That, that, and that just shows you the, the disdain the judiciary had towards the hangman. And it's a green light as well. Yeah. Um, you know, Elijah Upjohn was fined 10 pounds for supposedly indecent exposure, which reading the, the case, it sounded like he was drunk and he just sort of went outside a pub and, and pissed in the street. Yeah. Uh, he got fined 10 pounds for that. The guy who beat him up, uh, got fined five shillings, which yes. is, you know, basically, I think about one fiftieth. Um, and that's just a green light saying this, you know, it's fair, this guy's fair game. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was a, it was a, and the thing with their pay, like, you know, five quid back then was enough to buy, I think, around about 400 pints of beer, which, you know, not Staying not around. bad. You know, you'll not not get through that in a day or two no, with you no. with all your mates. But the thing was, these these hangmen would also spend a lot of time in jail for various offences, but they'd still be doing floggings and hangings. So when they were released, they had a kitty. Like you know, when Michael Gately was released um, in eighteen eighty, he walked out of prison with forty seven pounds. Mm. So if he got you know into trouble and got fined ten pounds, he could just pay it and walk free, mm. uh, and then you know go on another drinking bender, get fined, etc., etc. And and and. Unless he, you know, committed serious offences, they could buy their way out of trouble and continue their sort of rampages. The interesting thing about this book, uh, well, one of the interesting things, because it is a very interesting book across the board, is that it does paint this picture of these, of just this weird institution that I don't think most Australians are aware of. And that's one of the things you're really good at, Michael, is just bringing stuff to light that, you know, wasn't lit before um it's it's such a great book uh, I, I urge all listeners to grab a copy of hanging ned kelly right now and don't forget to go across and listen to michael's wonderful podcast forgotten australia if you ever want to just you ever pulled a rock off the ground and seen just disgusting roiling shit underneath that is just you are lifting the old gross rock of australian history so thank you for showing <laughs> us the the ants um it, it, it's thank been you. an absolute pleasure having you and thank you for being our first guest on the show Paul and John, thank you very much for your interest. I really appreciate it. It's been great talking. Thanks very much. All the best, Michael. Cheers. Bye, Michael. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com.